Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here. Another beautiful fall morning here. So we are working through the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth of five books in the series on the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses that we started a little over a year ago. Um, we're in a section on Deuteronomy here at the very beginning um, where Moses looks at their past and exhorts them in the present with a vision towards the future. So last week we um, looked at Israel's past and he told the whole story and there were really two big takeaways. The first one was to be honest with yourselves about who you are and where you've been and what you've done and repent from those things that they're the past generation, the first generation um, committed, which, which um, prohibited them from entering into the, the promised land. And the second thing that, that God was um, wanting them to really hold fast to in regard to their past was to remember that it was God who, through his power, freed them from slavery to Egypt and delivered them. And so God wanted them to continually recognize that, that their past holds um, a memory and understanding and experience that demonstrated God's power. And in his warnings, and so, you know, it's not, uh, he's not dividing this text up into the past, the present, and the future. It's all kind of mixed up. But throughout the, the narration of the story and their past, um, are elements that continue to remind them that if you don't hold fast to the Lord, if you don't consider and take hold of his power and to follow him in his ways, to believe in him, uh, to believe that he loves them and to obey him, if they don't do that, they are going to be enslaved once again. Enslavement is the guaranteed future for those who don't follow God. And it's more than just Israel's history. You know, some of you have, have gone through the uh, redemption, uh, redemption book uh, course that we have um, a few times a year. And that book and the, the process that we take people through sees this Exodus um, story as a metaphor for all of, us, all of us. It's not just Israel's deliverance from Egypt by the power of God. It's really the story of all of us. Enslavement um, is a spiritual dynamic um, and reality that is applicable and true to all of us if we fail to hold fast to God to follow him. All things are enslaved to corruption and sin. And sin is just this general idea that things aren't the way that they are supposed to be. It's a broad term, meaning that just shows this is not good. It's altogether not good. The Bible teaches that the natural world itself is under corruption and that it groans for redemption and deliverance. And so we, we see... We see a, a natural world, we see our environment that is corrupt. We see its beauty, the green grass and the trees and all of the things that are beautiful about nature, but we also see and, and are increasingly recognizing that nature is, is corrupt and that it is, it is not 
working 100% towards life. We see that, that nature itself is hostile to human life in a lot of ways. And there's you know, constantly the news about floods and earthquakes and fires and droughts and all of these things. We can see the corruption in, this, in the created world. Nature sustains us, but it also destroys us. And so that is, that is the corruption. And so there are elements about us as human beings that are good. We are made in the image of God. There, there are wonderful things that we experience because of being made in the image of God and experiencing the blessings that God gives us. But we also know that within us, uh, being corrupt by sin, that we are also very evil. And that if we hold fast to God, we can increasingly be made into the image of, of our creator, who is Jesus Christ. But if we do not hold fast to God, we will invariably um, become enslaved by our own evil and then be enslaved by those around us that have to constrain us. Otherwise, we would destroy ourselves and everybody around us. So this is the creation that groans. Do we groan? To what extent do we groan? To what extent do we groan for our own redemption? We see it again in nature and in humanity. We see it in the spiritual conditions of the world. Division and mental health challenges and wars between nations. We see that there is a problem in the human spirit. We need to ask ourselves, to what extent do we groan for ongoing deliverance? To what extent do we groan for ongoing redemption? You know, if we, if we, if we even look at the church, if you take the, the last 100 or 200 years of the church here in America, we can see that, that mainline Protestant efforts have increasingly gone towards humanism and science and human reasoning and the, the uh, political promises of government power, okay? But we've seen also the same thing in, in conservative evangelical fundamentalist churches where there's a, a pursuit for political power, a pursuit of celebrity, and so we see a weakening of the church. And so in light of this series that we're going through, so this nation of Israel is, is right on the, the, the border of Moab and the Promised Land. So they can see the future ahead of them. They, they have God's promises, but there's also these extensive warnings about if, if they don't hold fast to God, if they, if they take on the ways of the world around them, um, they will once again become enslaved to them. And so we as the people of God in, in this generation um, should see a similar warning. If we are not careful as God's people and, and grab hold of his power rather than the powers that human forces have, okay, like the mainline Protestants, the, the quote liberal churches, the quote conservative churches, we see how they have moved over the last hundred years to become increasingly dependent upon human power, human reasoning, and aren't holding fast to the power of God. And so Moses warns Israel, and we should take this warning for ourselves. Here in the present, looking toward the future. He says a few things in this passage that I, that I really want to focus on today. He says, take care and keep your soul diligently. 
Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And then he says, to watch yourselves very carefully, and to beware lest you act corruptly. And again, these same warnings we need to read as applicable to us. We are on this, we are on this constant fine line of holding fast to God and taking hold of his promises for freedom, prosperity and happiness. I mean, the passage, is that, the passage that was read this morning, it says, take, you know, hold fast to me so that you can go and take hold of this land that I have promised you. The land is the promise of, of happiness and prosperity and freedom. That's what God was promising them. And so we, we as, as God's children are always on this line. If we hold fast to God, we can take hold of freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from corruption, no longer being enslaved, happiness and prosperity, which we know are things that only God provides in a sustaining way. Or we're on this, 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 this fine line and we can go over towards being enslaved once again, where our sins overcome us and the consequences of those sins enslave us. So the question that I want to engage today in this sermon, considering this warning, is how do we take care how do we keep our souls diligently? How do we keep our souls diligently? And there are three things that, that Moses says that Israel must do to keep their souls diligently. And then there's a couple things that he says to be, to be on the watch for. So the three things. The first one is to know the statutes and rules that God has delivered to them as a nation. The second thing is to guard those statutes and rules. And the third thing is to pass on the statutes and rules to the next generation. So those are the three things that, that God sees as essential for na the nation of Israel to diligently care for their souls. So the first one, know and do, it says know, listen to, and do the statutes and the rules. Now, when we read that term, those terms, statutes and rules, we uh, invariably think that it's primarily a lot of laws, especially the ones that say thou shalt not, right? We see it kind of a negative idea. But the word, the word statutes and, and rules, the idea is much broader than that. There is indeed the idea of laws, the do's and do nots, but there is also... In, those, in the idea of a statute, it also implies plans, promises, covenants. Okay, so it's not just the laws that God wants them to hold on to. In fact, the laws, are, the laws don't mean anything outside of the plans and the promises and the covenants that God has given. And so we have to hold on to all of these promises that God has given to us, his plans for us, his plans for his creation, and then the laws and teachings that we need to understand and do in order to take hold of those, those promises and those, and those teachings and those covenants and the plans. If we just hold on to the, the do's and the do-nots, but don't understand the plan, we're not going to be able to make it. 
We're, we're going to react against law. It's human nature to react against law. If we don't see the context for those laws, we're not going to make it. So we have to understand the story and what God is doing. And it requires learning. So learn, listen, instruct. These are all learning things that we have to do. And then there's action. The things that God has instructed you to do, do them. The things that God has instructed you not to do, don't do them. And so the the law of Christ, so again, the, the laws of Moses, the Mosaic code that was given to Israel through Moses, uh, has been abolished. All those, the regulations have all been abolished. Ephesians chapter 2, Christ abolished the laws and commandments that were dividing the nation of Israel from the Gentile people. They were created for that separation. There's unity now through Jesus Christ. And we no longer have the law of Moses, but we have the law of Christ. And the law of Christ are the teachings that Christ has given to us as his people that are still in accordance to the plans that God set forth in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then their entire nation. And so we have this, we have rules, statutes, we have the promise, we have the plan. We have things that we have to learn as a church that we must fulfill, that we must do. And so that's why we put so much emphasis on learning in our, in our church, in our house churches, because we need to know what is it that God is doing, what is he asking us to, to do, to obey. And again, it is with the same promise. The entire New Testament, Jesus, the apostles... You are free from sin in Jesus Christ. If you don't abide in Jesus Christ, you're going to become enslaved again. Paul says, why do you want to become enslaved again to the things that you are now ashamed of? If we don't abide in Christ, that's what happens. Excuse me. The second thing is that we are called to guard the statutes and rules. And you know, it's really interesting. Guard your souls diligently. And all of the instructions on what to do have to do about the teachings. They're all about the teachings. Know and do the teachings. Guard the teachings. Pass the teachings on to the next generation. We, We cannot exist as a people and hold on to God and be free from enslavement to sin without the teaching. <clears throat> a little frog in my throat or something here. Now, under this command to guard the, the teachings, the statutes and the rules, he says two things. Do not add to them and do not subtract from them. Do not add, do not subtract. So, as, you, as we go throughout uh, the New Testament narratives and the teachings, we see that these are the tendencies that we as human beings have when we are given the instructions from God. All right, Legalism is the tendency that we have to add to the rules. It's Jesus plus something equals righteousness. Yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to do XYZ. You know, in in ancient Israel, or excuse me, in the early church, it was you've got to get circumcised, okay? You can't eat, um, you can't eat 
food outside of the Mosaic dietary laws. Okay, that's the additional laws that they put on it. It says, yep, you need Jesus Christ, but you also need to do these things. Historically, as, as you know, conservative churches uh, have been, you know, we got to throw on the rules around what you can eat or drink, what you uh, should wear, no dancing, no card playing, no drinking alcohol. I mean, there, no certain types of movies. There's always this tendency within the people of God, because it's part of our flesh, that says, you know, we like the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but we would like to add a little bit more so we can feel good about ourselves. And what happens is that elevation of certain laws over others uh, creates division and animosity within God's people because there are some people, usually the ones that make the laws, these would be the Pharisees in Jesus' time, usually the ones that make the laws are the ones that are really good at doing those laws. And so it sets up this hierarchy of, of spiritual people and not spiritual people, righteous people and non-righteous people in the church. And this has, again, this is the tendency of human nature. We want to elevate ourselves over others. We don't, want to, we don't want to be satisfied with the righteousness that Christ gives us. We would like to add a little bit more to it. The other tendency that we have is subtracting from the teachings that God has. That's called licentiousness. So you have a license to do what you want. Okay? You, you're saved by the grace of God. I, all my sins are forgiven. Jesus has washed my sins away. I can now do what I want because I know I'm all forgiven. That's licentiousness. And the teachings of Jesus throughout the entire New Testament also look to see this tendency that we have. And so it's not Jesus plus something. It's uh, not even Jesus. We don't see the need to become righteous or just people. We don't see the need to follow Christ and his plans for people. And we see that his plans for people are restrictive. Uh, that, that rule, that teaching that Jesus has for us um, is outdated. It's no longer applicable. That would be restricting my freedom, which is a massive value in our day and age. Freedom. We don't want any authorities telling us what to do. Because we see that that's life. Well, too much freedom leads to slavery. Too much freedom leads to slavery. And so those are the two things that we are warned not to do. Don't become legalists and add to Jesus' instruction. Don't become licentious and take away from Jesus' instruction. Again, there's this, it, it seems like this fine line that we've got to walk down. And the third thing he says, so first one, no, listen, do the instructions that God has for us. Second one, guard them, protect them, because if you steer from them, it's going to lead to enslavement and division once again. The third thing, pass it on to the next generation. That provides for the continuation of God's purposes. So we, understanding the plans and purposes and promises of God, can instruct our children in what to do and what not to do backed up by this greater promise of freedom and prosperity, peace, and happiness. So it continues God's purposes by instructing our children in these things. It also, as parents, when we're required to teach our kids, 
it strengthens us in our understanding of them as well, because everybody knows if you have to teach something, that means you have to learn it a lot better. And so this is a so the requirement to teach our kids not only benefits our kids, it benefits us as, as parents and as the the current generation. And again, this isn't just parents and kids, this is also the current generation of the people of God they are required to pass the teachings on to the next generation. So whether you have children or not, we are all responsible to pass the faith on to the next generation in the community. The third thing that it does is that it enables our children to take hold of these things. So if we want the good life that God promises, we want that for our kids. And by teaching our kids these things in a, in a discipline and in diligent way they can experience that as well and i think the fourth thing is that it adds accountability you know life in a family is open (laughs) and the older your kids get and it doesn't take very long your your kids can see hypocrisy our kids can see consistency you know our kids can see when when mom and dad aren't getting along our kids can see when dad is being harsh Okay, our kids can see when when their moms aren't respecting their husbands. So if we instruct our kids, we are also building up a layer of greater accountability within our own within our own families and within our own church family. So those are the three things that that Moses instructs um, his the nation to do. Know, do the teachings, guard the teachings, and pass them on to the next generation. He warns them that there are a couple obstacles to this. And it's, 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 the major one is forgetting. Forgetting. He says, take care lest you forget. And there are four things that he says you're going to forget. You're going to forget God's previous deliverance. You're not going to remember anymore what God has saved you from in the past. I mean, they, they witnessed God uh, delivering them from Egypt through miracles. They witnessed God conquering the armies of Egypt right before them with their backs against the Red Sea. They, did, they had nothing. They didn't, have, they didn't have any armies. They didn't have any weapons. God completely destroyed them on his own. That was something they forgot, as unimaginable as that may seem. And then they also forget, he says, you forgot the, other, the, the discipline that God has brought into your life. So God has delivered us, but God has also disciplined us. But after some time, which means God does something in us and around us to restrict our freedoms. <clears throat> it's not a punishment. It's... it's, it's discipline. It's trying to steer us from getting further away from him, further enslaved to sin. So God brings discipline in our lives. Like, a, you know, the Proverbs say, like a loving father does with his children, God disciplines those he loves. But we can forget about the discipline. We can forget about how hard it was. We can forget about the lessons that we learned. We can forget about why God brought us the discipline in the first place. So we forget that God has delivered and we forget that God has disciplined us. And then we also forget that God is near whenever 
we call out to him. Remember Moses said, Who, what other nation has a God that is near whenever we call out to him? You know, it, it, um, you know I've been doing this work of pastoring for over 25 years. And, um, you know, consistently over the years to this day, People come and talk to me and describe their problems to me. And, and one of the things that I ask is, hey, have you, have you prayed about that and reached out to God for help? You know, a lot of times it's no. No. It seems too simple. You know, in, in the teachings in Philippians chapter 4 where he's teaching us to, to not be anxious, the first thing he says is, remember, God is near. God is near. Ask him for help. It then later says, through prayers, supplications, and thanksgivings, make your requests known to God. God is near. God is delivered. God is disciplined. And God is near. He's ready to help you whenever you have a problem. But the longer we go forgetting these things, the more likely we are to forget that God's there to help us. And then obviously, we forget the statutes and the rules. We forget the teachings. We forget the teachings. I mean, how many of you have gone through the Colossians and Ephesians material more than three or four times? Okay, a lot of you. Yeah, all of us. And, but how many times have you gone through and you say, oh, you know, I forgot this. This is really enriching. I forgot that Jesus Christ has reconciled everything in heaven and on earth through the blood of his cross. I forgot that, that Jesus Christ is working to make me uh, holy, righteous, and above reproach, beautiful, and honorable, and unique. I forgot that Jesus is doing that, and I, and I forgot that, uh, that that's my destination as long as I keep my hope in the gospel. Now, where have, where have I been shifting my hopes to? We forget. You know, in, in, in the second, Peter's second letter um, to the churches, he said, you know, it is good for me to remind these things, remind you of these things. Why? Because we forget. It, it, might be, it might be one of the weakest points that we have as human beings, our tendency to forget. And the other warning, he says, is beware of idolatry. See, in our forgetting, see, what, the typical pattern for us as God's people, if we have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and are considered among the saints and have made Jesus Christ our Lord, our typical experience is that you know, something brought us to believe in God and through Jesus Christ in the first place. And so, we, and so it was something terrible in our lives, something enslaving, something that God convicted us of, whatever. We come to know Jesus Christ. We start following him and praying and following his teachings and get involved in community. Life gets better. And then as life gets better, we become more comfortable. And the things that God blesses us and makes us happy and prospers us, we start to believe that those are what actually gives life. We forget that God gave us life that enabled us to enjoy what he provides, and we started finding life in the very things that he has provided, and we, we forget him. That's idolatry. We don't have to have statues to be guilty of idolatry. It is when we start to believe that other things Things other than God, through Jesus Christ, His Spirit, the Gospel, and the Church, things other than God are actually what gives us life, what gives us a sense of freedom. This is life, life in, the, in God's terms. Freedom, prosperity, happiness. 
Same things that Jesus promised in the Gospels. So our tendency is to forget, and our tendency is to start seeing that life is found in other things. Those are the two things we've got to really beware of if we're going to keep our souls diligently. So the three things, know the rules and statutes, the promises, the plans of God, guard them, do not add or subtract, pass them on to the next generation, and beware of forgetfulness and idolatry. Interestingly enough, these, these are the things that through the plan of God in the local church, these are the things that the church really emphasizes and provides protections from. So why would we commit ourselves to a lifetime of, of rigor and discipline in a local church family? And I want to conclude with this one comment that Moses makes. He says, you know, take care, keep your souls diligently, lest these things depart from your hearts. Lest these things depart from your hearts. See, again, when we have come to know Jesus Christ, there was something that compelled us in our hearts to believe. We were overwhelmingly convicted by our sin, and we saw overwhelmingly the need for God's grace, his love, his sacrifice, his promises of prosperity and and happiness and freedom. And so our hearts were moved to believe. Our hearts were moved to believe. The teachings of the gospel, God's promises and plans for us, were emotionally felt. And we longed for them, and we believed. And at that moment, the, the, teaching, the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit enters our hearts. The Holy Spirit enters our hearts. Now, the Bible also teaches that that Holy Spirit can never be removed. This, is what, this wasn't the case for the nation of Israel. God's promises to them as a nation would always be fulfilled. But as individuals, they didn't, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. That, that Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So that Spirit is not going to leave. The Bible is really clear. It is a down payment until we come into our full inheritance in the kingdom. And so the possibility of our hearts reigniting for the things of God is always there. But, just like the people of ancient Israel, we can harden our hearts and we can sear our consciences and get to the point where we don't, we don't feel that in our hearts anymore. We don't feel that longing to know God. We don't, we don't feel the longing to experience His blessings and, his, and to follow His teachings and His rules. We don't, and our hearts are our passions, our wills, our desires. Right? It's, it's what is energizing us. And what Moses is saying is take care and guard your hearts. Keep your souls diligently. Keep that flame and internal desire alive for God. And to do that, we have to just be in this habit of reminding ourselves of who God is and what he has done in history and in our own lives so that it grows that heart's desire. Let me pray. 
Lord God, thank you for these words. And even though they are ancient words, they are ancient words given to an ancient people, um, they're still so relevant. God, thank you for the promises you have made. Thank you for your desire to bless humanity with freedom and prosperity and happiness. Thank you, God, that you do care for us and that are near. Father, we pray that as a church you'd help us to really hold, hold fast to these things. Protect us against licentiousness. Protect us against uh, legalism. God, protect us against idolatry. And Lord God, help us to just not forget. Help us to engage the, the practices and disciplines that we can as individuals and as a family, God, and as a church so that we help each other reminding ourselves of who you are and what you've done and what you promised for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.